Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Here we go. Oh, tonight we got them. Goldie, the Sulk, and JC. And it starts right now. Oh, welcome back to another episode of A Typical Disgusting Display, a podcast for writers, by writers who hate writing. Uh, we're excited today. We're going to be talking with uh, Ted showrunners, Brad Walsh and Paul Corrigan. We got them coming up in a little bit. They're the the new Ted show premieres on Peacock. Uh, well, it will have premiered, I, I guess, last uh, Thursday as Thursday. you're listening to this. But January 11th is when it comes out. We're excited for that. We worked on it. A lot yes. of laughs. Should be really funny. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, Goldie? I mean, I worked on it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I was there. <laughs> Would you do like one day? Oh, don't even do that. You're I, I was a consulting producer and you're an insulting producer. I don't like that. Uh-oh. First oh, joke no. of the day. First oh, joke fuck. of the day. And, uh, oh, you stepped right into it. But no, it was fun. I, I yes, you worked you were there I'm ev- kidding. You were there every day. I was there not every day, but it was yeah. still very fun. Funny. It was room. fun. Um That's cool. I wanted to bring something up quickly. I'm excited to see it unless it's bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. When the, the moment it's bad, we're not excited. And the, and the moment it's bad, it was like, well, Alec was there a little more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Alec yeah. really ran really point. preoccupied with family guy. I don't like to leave my dad. <laughs> Second joke of the day. Um, so uh, yesterday... I had, uh, as I as I like to say, I I uh, had my yearly physical that I like to do every decade, and uh, <laughs> so it, you know it was the whole workup, um, you know, blood blood pressure, X rays, you know, every, finger in the bum, everything, everything happened yesterday. Part. Okay. That's the best part by far. Right. By the way, that's getting easier. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're loosening. I up. used to spend months sort of thinking about it and fearing it yes and now it's like hey man you don't 
it doesn't need to be so quick. Just leave it in there as <laughs> yeah, long yeah. as you want. It's fine. I'll hang out. Yeah. I can shuffle over to give my urine sample while you're in there. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm just that, loose as a goose. Yeah. Whatever. Come what may. Okay. Sera, sera. Yeah. So uh, it was, you know, it was a, it was a fine visit. Everything was a okay. I'm happy to report. Well, until we get the blood work back and I find out the devastating thing, but we're, we're okay for now. But here was the big headline. And I'm Ooh. very excited about this. So, you know, they, they do your height and weight every time you go in there. Mm-hmm. So I go to get measured 5'11". Okay, <laughs> so I have been 5'10 plus forever. And this is a, a famous story that I brought up on here before. Our writer friend, Tom Devani, who... Famous. Famous. <laughs> okay. Famous story. Sure. Uh, everybody's going nuts for this story. I can hear the applause break as I started. So our writer friend, Tom Devani, uh, he's like six, two, six, three. We have a few six, three, six, four guys on staff. We got like a basketball team yeah, basically six, at family three. guy. And so tall people, when they, uh, congregate love to ask everyone how tall they are. <laughs> so this first day that we met everybody, Tom asked how tall I was. And I said, five eleven, And he goes, uh, that's five ten. <laughs> And I said, well, I love that. Tom, I'm, I'm laughing, but you're right. How did you know that? He said, well, anyone 5'11 would just say six feet. <laughs> so now I can say officially, and I had her measure twice. I explained to her this whole story. She's like, no, you're 5'11. And by the way, I'm not saying six feet because 5'11 sounds a little dangerous. Ooh, I love it. Literally it's on the edge. On the edge of six foot. Is he going to break six feet next year? We don't know. But I'm still growing, baby. I was yeah. very excited. So, uh, what happened I mean, to how huge. did you? Yeah. Like, how yeah. did you get this extra inch? I have no uh, idea. His, his dick shrank an inch. And then <laughs> it's only fair, right? His, his body <laughs> ate his dick and shot upwards. First of all, that's not possible. <laughs> but also, that's not what happened. Uh, yeah, but uh, did, did I try to fluff myself a little bit before the dick inspection? Maybe it didn't work too cold in the office. Uh, but five eleven, you're talking to a five eleven guy now. So can he dunk? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, but so that was, that was the big headline from yesterday, but the big headline from this week, uh, is the, the golden globe awards. Um, boy, what a, what a, what an evening. And, and and so, Goldie, let's talk a little bit about Joe Coy hosted. People did not love it. I, I, in full honesty, I had never heard of Joe Coy before this. I know. I had uh, heard of him. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not a consumer of his comedy. I don't watch a lot of comedy. It's like I don't think, you know, people who do magic go to a lot of magic shows. It's right. Just, I, it's not something I enjoy, except then there's the occasional person um, you know, they used to say about Ricky Jay, the other magicians thought he was actually doing magic, you know, and that's how I feel right. when I watch like a John Mulaney or Sarah Bill Silverman Burr. or Bill Burr yeah. or sometimes a Chappelle. But, uh, you know, can we just jump in? Let's yeah. do it. So people are upset in the writing community, I think, that he, quote, threw his writers under yeah. the bus. Repeatedly. Yeah. Gross. So, yeah. A couple of things about that is I, I, I'm not that angry about it because I think he was desperate and flailing. Yeah. Okay. But I will say it's a very stupid thing to do because 99.9% of the people watching don't know about writers. They just assume that 
whoever's on stage is making up mm, what they right. say. Yeah, so you've right. just instantly re- revealed to them you're not a capable person. Right. That you're propped up. They, you but then also it. the ridiculous implication that, oh, well, if only I had written the whole thing, it would be going amazing. Yeah. You know, well, why didn't you? and and the third thing is when he said well i only had 10 days 10 days to write 12 jokes yeah is an incredible amount of time yes (laughs) yes i mean do you do you have thoughts because i'm i'm gonna go into Mm -hmm. something else but i want to no well i i I, listen i i'm i'm on the same page with you there i thought you know repeatedly throwing the writers under the bus he you know he said other people wrote some of these jokes and i guarantee you the you're laughing at the ones i wrote which was just classless well get the joke yeah. actuary out here yeah, i know give it, you the telly it, works. It, it was really it, it was a thing and goldie you brought it up uh, you you gave him a little grace by saying he was flailing but there's another way of looking at it it's sort of like if you're in the army you know and you're a good soldier at basic training but then when you're sent into the war and the bullets start flying, you start lying under dead bodies and using other people as human shields. Like yeah. that's that's kind of the my takeaway from the situation. It was like the bullets were flying because the jokes were not going well. And his instinct was to point at someone else, which it's... really sucked. Now, here's my 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 can, old... can I just add on yeah. to that? Yes. Uh, so. You know, in my social media, it was all Joe Coy bombed, whatever. But, you know, we all create our own little bubbles. And my wife is more plugged into, like, the people at the comedy store, whatever. And comedy people were all like, hey, he did okay. Like, leave him alone. You know, it's hard to do this gig. And it's so funny to me that the same people who, you know, excoriate the theoretical audience of today is like snowflakes. And can't they just take it? You know, right. and right. it's like, hey, I'm an equal opportunity offender. But the second it doesn't go well, they're like, hey, come on. Yeah. It's a hard job. Yeah, it's like lay now off that they're us. the ones who feel yeah. slightly uncomfortable, it's right. not okay. Right. right. Yeah, lay off. Go easy. And that's the thing. And, and Goldie, you, you've spoken to this many times on the show, and we both know it to be true. Stand-up comedy is very hard. And as you pointed out, like you, you pointed to a handful of comics who, you know, you look at and you're like, okay, they're doing comedy, you know, the Bill Burrs and the Chappelle's and Sarah Silverman and that. And like, yes, that is right. But the, re- the rest of everybody, it's like, it's a crapshoot out there. Some nights it goes great. Other nights it's the Golden Globes with Joe Coy. So I do give him a little grace in like, that's what happens in stand-up. Like you can have a night like that and still be a great comic. So maybe, maybe he is, and maybe this Golden Globes thing will give him extra material for well, this coming year. Editorial, he editorially he made a huge mistake, which was that he didn't address who he was. He didn't no. address the sort of movies of the year. That anything outside that room, he didn't address. Now, I thought it was unfair for me to criticize him being that I'm a writer. So while I was on my dog walk this morning in the 25 minutes, I, I wrote some stuff. Oh, I'm hosting the golden Globes just to show you. Oh, I love this. 10 days is a lot of time. Okay. And I'm not going, Oh, this is genius or whatever, but I'm saying this was me in 25 minutes of being outside talking into my phone. It's very rough. I haven't gone over it. Ready? So here we go. Well, welcome to the golden globes. Uh, isn't it great just being here and all giving each other COVID. 
<laughs> but it's yeah. the best kind of COVID. This is famous COVID. When people yeah. get this variant, they'll be psyched because it came from Hollywood. Uh, it's already yeah, yeah, better. Yeah. And so this is a little hacky, but this is like a- along the lines of like what I think you should want. I know what you're thinking. Like, why is the waiter on stage? Well, I'm Joe Coy. I'm I'm hosting the show, but honestly, it's CBS and the budget is tight, so I am also the waiter. But, uh. So if you have a drink, please just shout it out. I'll I'll get them in between as I'm going. But it's a, it's a lot of pressure night, right? It's it's the Golden Globes, right? I mean, but it's it's not that much pressure because it's the Golden Globes, right? Like it would it would be <laughs> yeah, nice to win a Golden Globe, but you really want the Oscar, right? Like you can lose the Golden Globe. <laughs> And win the Oscar and you'd be happy. But you, if you win the Golden Globe and lose the Oscar, yes. you're not happy, right? Yeah. right. The, the Golden Globes is the NBA midseason tournament of award shows. Uh, yes, Let's yes, not get yes. so excited about the Golden Globes. <laughs> uh, Kevin Costner's here. And I, I thought he botched this joke. If Kevin Costner's here, you're always off in the woods somewhere. So it's like, yeah. it's like Kevin Costner is here. Uh, he, he's, he's alone. Um, Kevin got divorced this year, so uh, on behalf of all of us, I just want to say congratulations, Kevin. Congratulations. <laughs> Come on. He'll be fine. He's single. He's rich. He's famous. Every time he puts on a cowboy hat, someone hands him a million dollars, okay? He's fine. He gets a script. He's like, what's the part? It's like, a cowboy who says four words at a time? I'll do it. <laughs> Come on. Five words, he's out. He never has to say more than five words. He says, I'll do it. I'll do it as three words. Kevin, you still have one word left. <laughs> Bradley Cooper. Bradley Cooper. He's not yeah. tonight yeah. for Maestro. Uh, Bradley Cooper, he's taking a little heat from Jewish groups for wearing a, a big nose. But uh, don't worry, Bradley. You'll be fine. I mean, look around the world. It doesn't seem like Jews hold a grudge. Oh. But <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's fine, fine, guys. <laughs> Bradley said in an interview, uh, I just read, he said in an interview, he spent six years learning to conduct. How, how do you spend six years learning to conduct? Were the, were the first five years picking out a stick? <laughs> were the six months of learning to flail your arms? But good luck tonight. Anyway, uh, Meryl Streep is here. The great Meryl Streep. I'll break this suspense. Whatever it is, you won. They don't even put her name in the envelope anymore. I see all the envelopes backstage. There's one that just says Meryl Streep. The waiter sets her place at the table. It's fork, knife, trophy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Barry Cogan is nominated for uh, Saltburn. Yeah. That grave scene. Oh, guys, you know oh, what I'm boy. talking about, that grave scene. <sighs> he was humping the grave. Oh, my God. Guys, that wasn't even in, in the script. That was improv. The script says Oliver stands respectfully at the grave. Barry. Oh, Barry. And then after that, Barry had the nerve to show up at Rosalind Carter's funeral. That's totally inappropriate, Barry. Do not hump that mound, Barry. No. No, Barry. Wow. Jimmy Carter's still alive, though. I mean, I mean, he went in a hospice a year ago. He's still alive. God, he loves morphine, right? The second he got those drugs, he was like, finally, a reason to live. I know. Oh, it's inappropriate. Guys, don't worry. No one's watching this. The football game is on. Miami's playing bills for the division. You think anyone in America's like, oh, well, I, they're going to settle the, the uh, Eastern Conference. But I really want to see if May, December took home best sound. Don't worry. They're not watching. Oh, boo all you want. You don't scare me. You think I'm scared? 
I play Reno tomorrow night, okay? Not even the big casino. The little casino. Reno. My last show in Reno, someone stabbed a guy. They let them both stay for the rest of the show. So oh I'll be God. fine. But let's talk about Barbie. Yes. Uh, Barbie made over $1 billion and Ooh, saved woo. the movie industry, guys. Woo. Saved the movie industry. And um, I learned a lot from watching Barbie. I mean, it, was, it wasn't just you know, like a phenomenon, but it, it really educated. Like, did you know, I didn't know, did did you guys know that guys are bad? Uh. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> but Margot Robbie was incredible in that movie. Mar- Margot Robbie, she might be the most glamorous woman in the world. Margot Robbie had to gain 10 pounds to play Barbie, okay? <laughs> <laughs> But Barbie's, it's really interesting how they played with what we define as sexy and what we think is a, because, I, because I walked out of that movie different than when I walked in. Because when I walked into that movie, I did not realize Michael Cera was a hunk of burning sex. <laughs> <laughs> but it's great. It's great we're all back to work uh, after the strike. Like, that was probably in a rough during the strike. But I, I did see you. All during the strike. I remember seeing a bunch of you backstage at the Drew Barrymore show when we did that. Oh. <laughs> it's fine. It's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> uh, Oppenheimer. That was the other big film of the year. Oppenheimer. Uh, Oppenheimer. Again, save the movie industry. Oppenheimer made $1 billion. And it, it, it was a little long. Oppenheimer. <laughs> can we see it? We can, say, we, we, we can say that. It was a little long. I took a first date to Oppenheimer. And when the movie ended, she said, I need to know where this relationship is going. (laughs) That's how long Oppenheimer was. That's a great joke. Oppenheimer was so long. When I left the theater, there was a poster of me on a telephone pole, and it said, missing, last scene entering Oppenheimer. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Oppenheimer was so long. When the movie started, I had hair. <laughs> all right, that's all I got. Oh, oh my, my god. god, that was in twenty-five minutes. Goldie, oh it's not that fucking hard. Oh, Goldie, you. With I'm nominating Goldie. you for a potty. Next, <laughs> you just you you deserve a potty. I, I, wow. I, but literally to show you that you get no. professional writers like this is. This is not rocket science to okay. do wow. events. And I'm like someone to inject with 30 years of stand-up experience, to be unable to, to sort of just broaden their perspective beyond um, people sitting in front of me and, and the movies, like, say some stuff. Say something like Ricky Gervais. Like, you can offend them. You're not going to work with them ever. And you can say that. You go, you weren't going to hire me anyway. Oh, but yeah, you had some big movie prepared for yeah. Joe Coy that you were going <laughs> to yeah. give me after this? <laughs> right. That was never going to happen, guys. That's not on the table. Yeah, especially well, Goldie, I, I don't know. I, I, have to, I have to throw a flag here because I, I feel what you just displayed is your comedic genius. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know that you can uh, put that in a math equation and say, see, you can do it in this amount of time, no, but you but can. I, I disagree. Like, you I can. think any of the monologue writers on any of these late night shows can nope. step in and give you a Not version any. of this. Not any. Uh, some. They can get you close. And some, and some can do better. That was for sure. fucking fantastic. We need to, we need wow. to send that clip to the Smithsonian because yeah. for you to write that on your walk. 25 that's, minutes. You know what? That was Crazy. like our, our writing episode, but even better. That was so yeah, funny, Goldie. That was a clinic. Uh, Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. 
Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Now, let's fuck it all up with some Johnny jokes. Whoa! (laughs) From Hollywood and don't expect a lot of Johnny's. Here's Johnny. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. All right, let's get into them. We got a limited amount of time here. Here we go. Well, maybe you heard this. Uh, Pro-choice advocates are pushing for a National Abortion Awareness Month. Uh, Scraperal? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Moving on quickly. I can't even believe somebody said that. A new scientific study suggests that burping may be contributing to global warming. Boy, uh, we're going to blame everything on the Jews, huh? Okay. (laughs) Moving on quickly. An office manager in Cincinnati is being sued for allegedly sneezing on his co-workers during cold and flu season. Yeah. Uh, His lawyers say they intend to enter a plea of snot guilty. (laughs) Snot guilty. These are very Alec-y. (laughs) <laughs> yes, they are. Well, that's my They're name. Great. They're great. And finally, we got a three-part joke here, finally. Cool. Uh, New York City experienced heavy rain for several days in a row last week. It was so wet in New York. How wet, wet was, was it? it? It was so wet, Jimmy Fallon had to call off his dry January. Oh. Uh, it, it was so wet. In order to provide their services, Times Square call girls had to get scuba certified. It was so wet, the subway rats knocked over a tiki bar just for the tiny umbrellas. (laughs) That famous New York tiki bar. (laughs) I'm sure Tom Gamble can point one out. (laughs) Johnny, too. All right. Keeping it brief. Uh, The Golden Globes were this past Sunday, and... uh, The host did not do well. Uh, It went so bad, today Gaza sent humanitarian aid to Joe Coy. (laughs) Wow. Joe Coy bombed so badly, and it was so unwatchable, the executives at CBS instantly gave him his own show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, another news. Uh, Scientists. 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 Created a 77-year-old AI David Bowie. Whoa. Yeah. Sadly, the new David Bowie also died of cancer. (laughs) Oh, that's sad. (laughs) That's the type of joke I love (laughs) that no one likes. (laughs) Uh, And finally, uh, earlier this week, an Alaskan air flight had a panel of its fuselage blow out mid-air. Oh, yeah. Passengers called it terrifying, harrowing, 
and still better than flying southwest. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Great stuff. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Oh, folks, friends, we are incredibly excited and lucky today. We have two very talented writers, uh, Paul Corrigan and Brad Walsh. They wrote for years on Modern Family. They have so many fucking Emmys, it's annoying. (laughs) Um, And of course, now they are running the TED show for Peacock, which just premiered last week as you're listening to this. And it is very funny. They did a fantastic job. So folks, please welcome Paul Corgan and Brad Walsh to the podcast. Welcome, guys. Welcome. Good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm certainly and, uh, not petrified if that's what uh, you're, you guys are thinking. Well, I told you when it was the actual podcast, because we were talking before the podcast started. When I told you it was the actual podcast, it would feel different. Is Do you sense an electricity now that this it's part is being recorded? Electricity in the air. I have to say, I have to recommend agreeing to do a podcast if anyone out there is is having trouble pooping. Because really, <laughs> just gets the juices flowing. Jesus, I'm having trouble pooping every day. Recommend doing something, doing a podcast for me. Maybe that's the uh, that's the key to this all. Um, so I mentioned, of course, in the intro, Modern Family. Where you? How many seasons were you two there? You were there it, eleven. It was yeah. It was a long time. We were there eleven seasons. Wow. wow. So you, you guys have kind of like what we have at Family Guy. It's one of those rare, you know, because most shows don't even make air and if they do they last one season having an 11 season show that people loved that critics loved that audiences love when did you know that you were involved uh in something special i mean i think we knew early on which also just added to the to the stress level to be honest but you know (laughs) just meeting on the show you felt like this is a really special pilot it'd be great to be a part of and then I mean, by the time it was on the air, it was it, it kind of it launched really well. But even in pre-production, that first season, there was a, a feeling that the stakes were high. Yeah, absolutely. We, I remember, I still remember that. You know, when you go on those meetings, you often go into a room and you watch the pilot before you meet with the the showrunners. Right. I remember watching that pilot in that room and just getting like, "Oh crap, this is great." We have to get on the show. Did you at at that time, because there used to be a thing called pilot season and it used to be you take a series of meetings. Now, not now, if anyone can give you one meeting, it's like a miracle. At that time, did you have a road not taken? Were there other shows that you had offers on? Oh, absolutely. It's crazy to think. I I remember being in in the backyard of my rental house, pacing on the phone with Paul, maybe Matt Rice, 
trying to figure out if we should go on to modern family or take the slit the the larger cash offer on and paul i can't remember the name of the show i think it was accidentally on purpose if that was yes. the right year <laughs> wow <laughs> and i think they were they were i mean they were generously offering us a deal we'd never had a deal it's you know that also seemed like the opportunity of a lifetime and it was it was really i mean we were really pulling out our hair but we had a couple of years earlier that we had made a a pilot a documentary show about a family and I, I, I think one thing that sort of tipped the the scales was like, this is the closest we're ever going to get to being on that show that we created that didn't get ordered to series. So like, yeah. if yeah. this thing is a hit, we're going to just kill ourselves uh, or, or hate ourselves, I should say, if, yeah. if we're not on it. Yeah. What yeah. was the difference between Modern Family and the one you did? Like, uh, Modern Family was excellent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was 10 times better than what we did. It was crazy. <laughs> But oh, some yeah. some of the stuff that you know lines up is crazy. I mean, we tried to cast Ty Burrell in the in the lead. Oh wow! And wow. We're told he was not a lead. We couldn't do it. <laughs> no way. But yeah, but it, you know, it's it's just Steve and Chris solved all of the problems we did not solve in that show. Oh, that's wow. great. Well, so let's let's talk for a minute about Steve and Chris. So when you had your meeting for the show, Steve and Chris, you're talking about are uh, Steve Levitan and and Chris Lloyd, who are titans in the uh television writing industry so when you had your meeting for the show did you meet with both of them no we met with we met with steve but we also we we had worked with both of them separately prior to that so we we knew them both that's cool uh, but it was it was a meeting with steve and since you were, we were talking about like did people know it was going to be a a big show I, th I think steve has denied this but my memory is that during that meeting he was like i, I think this could be miami so like oh. it was already this feeling like this this could be something special. How did you approach Amazing. those kind of meetings? Like, did you feel we've got to have story pitches in our back pocket, or we're here to listen more than talk, or we're just going to be very effusive and then get the fuck out of there? Like, what was what was your approach it, to that? It, it was mostly that last one. I mean, I think in <laughs> general that's kind of the best sort of default position for those meetings. But you kind of have to take them as they come because every showrunner is a little bit different and quirky and so you kind of have to adjust on the fly and there are some who don't talk as much and you've got to be ready to tell stories and make them laugh and that's where actually working with a partner is really great because you can have a conversation with your partner and it feels like the meeting's going well yeah do you talk strategy beforehand when you have a partner because i've never really had a partner do you say like hey listen i'm gonna try to get to that anecdote about like my kid you know, breaking think, their leg during baseball and you then yeah. can do this or not. Really. I think we do that. We do that when we're pitching a show, certainly like, you know, well, I'll, you know, I'll start with that, that anecdote. And then that'll like lead into the, the premise of the show, like the log line. And then I'll toss to you that kind of thing. So they don't step on each other. But I don't know that we would do that uh, for show meetings as much. I mean, the most recent version of a show meeting was the one where we, we uh, met with Seth and I don't remember doing that. Yeah, cool. Seth is Seth is uh, as I'm sure you can speak to. He's he's pretty. He puts you at ease in a meeting. Yeah. Like yeah. he's That's nice. and also we all have the benefit of we're we're all like kind of the same age as Seth, and I think he he sort of loves that when your field of reference is similar to his. Did you find when you were meeting him that you know you'd bring up things from your childhood and that would oh. spark his interest? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And one one of the things that helped is you know he grew up in Connecticut. We're both from Rhode Island. He went to RISD and, you know, we are the high school Brian and I went to, we actually went to high school together, was right next yeah. to RISD. So, like, we had all these things in common. 
that kind of made that meeting easier than most, even even with Seth putting people out. At, yeah, at, yeah. There was there was a moment there where he was talking about uh, like a girlfriend he had in I think maybe high school named Sheila. And doesn't sound Paul, credible. Yeah, and <laughs> <laughs> and Paul might have been college. And uh, <laughs> Paul said, "Oh yeah, well, New England is one of the few places you can meet a young Sheila." <laughs> that's in the show isn't it yeah yeah i wound up in the yeah. show uh, <laughs> which is, just that, i think that's sort of the moment we got that job where it's like oh we're sort of we're able to uh speak that same language but yeah. i mean a little bit doubling back like the chris and steve meeting or it was just a steve meeting but we had worked with chris and steve on like i dare say uh, let's say i was gonna say bad let's not say that let's say unsuccessful show sure. yeah, really sure. difficult productions so we were we weren't really necessarily confident we're going to get that that modern family job because like did chris really want to see the guys from bram and alice again oh, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing you know i would yeah. my myself and my writing partner bram and alice was one of our roads not taken oh, oh really yeah oh, well, I, we, we fought congratulations <laughs> we, we like we fought tooth and nail to get on the bram and alice which actually reminds me of um were, were you, did you write more for Bram or for Alice? <laughs> Bram, these are Bram guys. I don't, yeah, I don't know where I end and Bram begins. <laughs> that, that reminds me of the Dan O'Shannon quote that I mean, I'm sure he was probably quoting someone else. I think he may be giving someone credit, but uh, the the uh, the worst thing about hell is how hard you knocked on the door to get in. Uh, <laughs> I, I got to say, like, Br Bram and Alice, is, it's the rare show where you're out from the first word in the title. Where you go, <laughs> I'm Bram, I don't know what that is. I don't know what a Bram, I've never met a Bram. So, like, I, I can't even focus on and and Alice. I don't know, we, we probably made, we, perhaps we've all been on shows like this, and we've been on, Paul and I have been on multiple multiples where that show just wasn't working. And then you find yourself in a room with, like, really smart people and trying to solve this puzzle that doesn't necessarily have a solution. And it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a scary place to be. Yeah. yeah it's like a 5,000 piece puzzle and the picture is of a gross dick. Exactly. <laughs> and you're there at two o'clock in the morning and then three o'clock in the morning. Oh no. And you're not making any progress. And it just, you know, you have to be there again at 10 o'clock in the morning and it's just, it's miserable. There's actually a, a story from that. So we were, uh, Paul and I, uh, we were there until whatever o'clock in the morning it was. And we were driving home. And back then we would carpool because we lived really close by and had no money. Um, so Paul's driving his Oldsmobile Achieva, I believe. Oh, uh, it, it was a fine car. Brag. I have a history of only driving cars that are no longer produced. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it was marketed to all those Achievas out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we had, it's like, let's say it's 1 a.m. and we're pulling out of the lot. And I'm in the passenger seat and Paul's driving and I'm ranting, as you guys know, I will occasionally do. And I'm just like, what like, what the, what the F, F's going on in there? Yeah, and like, what's the point of this? And like, we're never going to get this. And we and I, like, I'm, of course, thinking I'm pitching all sorts of great stuff. I wasn't. But I'm like, you know, <laughs> you know, everyone's pitching all this great stuff. And I said, like, just, you know, Chris, make a fucking decision. And as I say that, I turn to my right. We're stopped at a light. My window's down. Oh. Chris is parked next to us. His window's down. He's looking at me. Oh. The light turns green and we both drive off. Oh. And the, and the, the panic begins. <laughs> <laughs> so by the time we get to Santa Monica, we have hatched, which is where we lived at the, at the time, we had hatched a plan that we would both, I was like, okay, this is what we'll do. I'll get in my car 
you stay in your car. We'll drive around town and we'll speak at the volume we were speaking. And find <laughs> can, you, can you even hear a conversation? <laughs> and, and the reason I, I think the reason I tell this story is that fast forward to where, where I'm uh, Modern Family season one, they want stories from your life. And like, you know, as you know, like in a writer's room, you just like, you just want to survive one more day. Yeah. Cool. So after I pitched every other story from my life, I pitched that story oh. to Chris Lloyd, unaware if he ever knew that right. we had, yeah, we had said that. And, 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 and uh, yeah. no, the, the insight into Chris Lloyd is having heard that story pitched to him. We still have no idea if he heard us that day. Oh <laughs> wow. yeah. He's tough to read. He's <laughs> yeah. tough to read. I remember, uh, the the Bram and Alice interview that I went on with my writing partner Wellesley and it was Chris Lloyd and Joe Keegan at the, yeah, at the yeah. time that was his partner at the time and I remember Chris was sitting at the desk and Joe was standing over his shoulder and it was it had a very kind of austere feel to the whole thing and as you say Chris a man of few words and one of one of the string of words that he spat out at us was um so what theater experience do you two have? And I just remember breaking into a flop. Sw- I, I mean, I think I'm, it, you know, it cut to me 30 seconds later, sort of like, consider yourself at home. You know, I was just desperately, yeah. as you say, knocking on the door of hell. Yes. We, we, I, the question I remember from that meeting was what, it was like, what book are you reading right now? Ooh. If I was reading a book at the time, I certainly couldn't remember it or any book I'd ever read. Like, it was just... I just went wow. like, yeah, I, I, the, the one thing I remember from that meeting was, so I mean, we had basically turned down a lot of things to just get this interview. The morning of the interview, I wake up with a 103 degree fever oh, um, and oh, yeah. I take so much DayQuil <laughs> to get through that meeting that I honestly, I, I swear, I, I remember that meeting as sort of a disembodied person looking at the meeting. Right. <laughs> and it just, I think that actually helped me because I, I was, I think I was able to answer those sort of questions from left field. It was crazy. Yeah. Oh, out of body experience. Yeah, well, one of the things I've noticed though, is that like when you're there super late, that's never the sign of a good show. Right. Like, no. so, you know, I worked on, the Spike TV video game awards once. And we were there till four in the morning, just writing banter for Donald Faison and Jamie Presley. <laughs> and one of my favorite room bits when you're there past like 2 a.m. is just you suddenly shout, I got it! And then <laughs> and then don't have anything. <laughs> but it's just it's it's like if you if you ever find yourself there late, it's like it's over. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you're, just, you're just borrowing against the future when you're when you're there late like that. I mean, and it, like contrast contrast that with or or contrast that. We'll figure out that that out later. Um, <laughs> with Modern Family, um, JC, you'll clean that up, right? Yes, yeah. always. <laughs> we'll get the right one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with Modern Family, very few dinners. Like we were pulling out of that lot at you know six thirty, having dinner with our family all the time. And that's it was it was considered that's like amazing. a huge defeat if we had to stay. Yeah. No, that's a you're right. That's a, a good indicator of how the show's going. Now uh, to talk a little bit more about Modern Family. Now we on the outside, uh and you guys wrote on the Fox lot and and we were we were there doing dads, which shows better. Only history will tell <laughs> at the same time. And we would often see 
what we like to call uh, marauding warriors style gangs from yes. the modern family room doing sort of like very cool reservoir dog style lunch walks. And we also heard this thing that you guys had two rooms. Uh, Christopher Lloyd had a room. Steve Levitan had a room. W was that true? Did it always hold to the same people in the same rooms? And if so, which room were you two in? Sure. Um, I'll take the first question first, <laughs> which is the Marauding Gangs. I think that was actually part of a fairly healthy culture on that show, which was that we would take breaks and that all, certainly lunch was a break. And there's a bit of a tradition of like after lunch, we take a walk. And um, I, I mean, this is a lot of shows do this, uh, but certainly the show is part of that that camp where like you don't talk about the show during lunch and you don't talk about the show during the walk. That is a right. mind head clearing uh, experience. Uh, in terms of the rooms, so what would happen? It kind of evolved. So in the in pre-production of Bonner Family in the first season, especially, but really, uh, well, I'll just let's discuss the healthier maybe first season. We've got two rooms. Chris has a room. Steve has a room. You can you can kind of go back and forth, but it starts to lock in in pre-production because you're up to speed on what that room's discussing. Right. What we would do in that first season is that if you could like sort of a shorthand on those those two guys' style is I, I think I'm again quoting Dan O'Shannon. You should probably just bring him on. Um, <laughs> is that Steve is jazz and Chris is math. I mean, that's really wow. reductive, but that's kind of what's going on. Okay. So like Chris is really into like plot and like everything adding up to okay. this big ending. And Steve is a, has a little bit more patience with like side trips and tangents and sort of conversational stuff. Okay. So cool. Steve would break a story and bring, and, and then as soon as we got something, you'd call in Chris's room and Steve would pitch his story to Chris in Chris's room. And Chris would usually say like, I think you can add like two twists because he would love like twists. Like it's a little straightforward, add two twists. Steve would be like, I'll add one twist. Right. Conversely, Steve would you know bring Chris's room in. Let's see where this is going. Uh, Chris would take out one twist when he was asked to, to remove two. Steve would add one when he was asked to add two. And the, and the, the middle ground was Modern Family. Wow. So, that worked great until they stopped listening to, to each other. And then it became up to people like us, the, uh, basically the executive producers on the show, right. to make sure that those two rooms met up, met in the middle and, and made Modern Family. Right. I mean, at that time, did you give any thought to, you know, we've been on here now, we have a bunch of Emmys, should we leave and do our own thing? Or were you set on sort of yeah. saying, let's take this ride to the end? This is like we a rare opportunity. 100% take this ride to the end. I mean... Too much, much to our agent's chagrin, actually, <laughs> I think encouraged us to look at other opportunities once in a while. But I think it was, you know, we kind of knew this may not happen again, certainly to us. I mean, you don't win the lottery twice in a lifetime, and it really felt like we won the lottery. Yeah. And uh, Some I of us just, don't win it even once. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, we were, we were there to the end. I mean, I think we were, we didn't want to be Shelly Long. Right. Oh yes, right. right. And Chris yeah. Lloyd could talk to and speak to that. Yeah. yeah, you never you never get off the yeah, boat. It's a good example. Uh, another thing um, about those those separate rooms, part of that also was, I mean, it, it got it got highly dysfunctional at certain points, but it evolved from a really functional place, which is that like when you're making a single camera comedy, for the most part, there's always a room going, and for the most part, there's always something going on on stage. So right. Chris would be down on stage shepherding his episode through the process while Steve was up in the room with us prepping his next week's episode. Yeah. And then we would 
switch places, right? Like, well, they would switch places. We would stay where we were. So that sort of answers your other question about like whether you're in one room or the other. You're in. You're just in the room, and those it guys seems are stuck. impossible to do it with only one room because you'd go. Then we have to do this thing twenty two times instead of eleven. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It 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 did cut down. On, it it was much more efficient. It was certainly much more efficient. And I mean, at some point, I think all the writers realized we were doing twenty two or twenty four episodes, and Chris. And Steve, we're only doing 11. I see. <laughs> All right. There's the and decisions. I have a feeling they made a little bit more money than us. <laughs> <laughs> we may have to fact check that. Now, we, we, we were talking uh, up top in this week's show about uh, Joe Coy and the, and the Golden Globes. So I'm wondering, uh, you, you folks certainly had many awards show experiences. Was there anyone that stands out as like the most memorable to you two? I mean, that, that first one was certainly uh, memorable where we won the won the Emmy. Um, and that was a little surreal, too, where you like I, I, I didn't know what that was. I'd never we, we'd been to the Emmys once. Uh, the um, the technical Emmys or whatever. What are the yeah, creative yeah. arts? Yeah, creative arts. arts. Um, we hadn't been to those Emmys, certainly hadn't won. And this moment where like you win and then they just t- they take you backstage and then you're brought through this gauntlet of like media outlets and booths. I wasn't prepared for that. That was weird. Also wasn't prepared for the fact that you, they then take you right to the governor's ball. And so I had the tickets. I had my wife's ticket to the governor's ball. So you realize oh, no. my wife is stranded back at the, oh, no. the audience. That was, that was kind of odd. Um, yeah. I do remember uh, in years after that, maybe the first year, but I def- definitely years after that, I would try to freak Bill Rubel out by jinxing our win every time. So I'd like <laughs> lean forward and at the commercial break, like when they announced like who would be announcing, I'm like, we're going to meet Ted Danson. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. You're jinxing it. Also the, um, the, uh, the, those, you know, those statues are really pointy and you, you spend the night like poking people with them accidentally. So the, the year two, I brought little corks for everybody to put on the ends of their enemies. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Oh, that's a level of preparedness Goldie yes. and I will never have to deal oh. with. <laughs> I remember the 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 one time that Family Guy was nominated in the real Emmys. It was like 2007 or 2008 or something like that. And we had a bit. There were a few of us writers, obviously, sitting in a cluster there. And so we somehow all just as hive mindedly started this bit. Like when when every award was announced, we all stood up. Like it was uh, like it was us winning and then had to sadly sit back down and clap. Um, so, yeah, we never really got the gauntlet. I don't know anything about that. But let's go back uh, in time a little bit. You mentioned before that you two are, are both from Rhode Island uh, and you went to high school together. Yeah. So wh- where in Rhode Island are you, you two from? Well, I, I grew up in Providence and um, Brad grew up in, I believe, West Warwick. Oh, and um so that's young, how cool west warwick is you have to your your best friend of 30 years has to say <laughs> i believe west warwick <laughs> <laughs> it was i mean it's rhode island it's all kind of the same i mean there's yes. really like you know you can put your foot out your door and you're in a different city um right. it, yeah so we met in high school we met i think sophomore year of high school in i believe a french class and we were both sitting in back kind of dozing off because we had stayed up the night before watching Letterman. And so when we both realized that, we started talking about that and we kind of became friends pretty quickly. Oh, that's, that's nice. Awesome. That's nice. Now, do you st- do you two still use your French? 
Oh, all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Very valuable. Yeah. It was, I think well, I just, we learned. I don't think we learned very much. French in that room because my memory is that uh, mean girls weren't a thing yet, but basically a group of mean girls had taken over that class and demanded that it be taught in English. <laughs> oh, wow, the power! Well, the teacher complied. Oh, wow. Hey, um, all right. So Rhode Island high school, you meet. Did you go to the same college or did you just stay friends? Sort of. So uh, uh, freshman year, Paul was at BC and uh, I was at NYU uh, and neither of us were, had the, we, we switched majors and, and Paul transferred to NYU and we, you know, we, we were film majors at NYU by sophomore year. Oh, okay. So, cool. Yeah. That used to be a, a lot less popular of a major, at least from my perception that when I was at Columbia, it seems like there might've been 10 film majors and there really wasn't a department i mean were you guys just watching mean streets over and over and <laughs> saying how good it is like what was the film made it was back? it was a lot of that there had there was an article in the new york times i think paul might remember this better than i right around then about film school being a thing and it, it sort, of, sort of felt like it was just starting and it was like well this could be a path I mean, I, I was probably about the Harvard limp. Who now that I think about it, it, it was like, yeah. oh, I think it was more like writing sitcoms is a thing. So, did you mm. think like you wanted to work in TV, or do, did you think you would be directing movies? I, I think when once you show up at NYU Film School, you're you're sort of brainwashed to believe you're going to be the next Spike Lee. You're going to be the next great director, mm. right? Yeah, and yeah, it like... takes a, a lot of work to figure out not everyone should direct, <laughs> and <laughs> like it took it took I think two years of failing at directing short films for me to realize this is not for me. And I kind of like writing comedy. Yeah. I had the same experience where I was, you know, separately making like we all we did was talk about comedy and watch comedy. And then I would go to class and try to make like some really serious black and white bleak uh, like art yeah. movie. <laughs> also, Cause I'm, I'm, a, I'm, it's not, it's not that crazy. I'm kind of a sad guy. Uh, but, but it just, no one would respond to that stuff. And then one day, I think out of desperation, made something funny and everyone, you know, uh, everyone, enough people responded. <laughs> yeah. There was some traction there. Right. And like, oh, maybe maybe that's what I should do. Were, were you with anyone there who wound up being like a breakout director or anything? Is well, my, a- my, um, my freshman roommate is Eli, was Eli Roth. Who's oh, a, wow. A cool. Guy. And then our uh, our good friend um, Aaron Kruger, who actually helped us get our agent, um, is also a, a big writer. He wrote Top Gun most recently. Wow. Um, all right, but so okay, so you make a, a comedy short and you get a reaction, which is something you weren't getting to the artsy fartsy black and white stuff. So how soon after graduating did you feel like, hey, let's be writers and let's be writers together? Well, so so we we luckily had a couple internships during uh, while at NYU. I was at Conan, and Paul was at Comedy Central, right? Yeah, Comedy Central. And someone at Comedy Central told him like writing teams are the way to go. Like it's it's a two for one thing. You're going to be a lot more hireable. And also, we just you know we're, we're roommates and good friends and collaborating. So right. we started writing scripts together, maybe junior, certainly senior year of college. And then our friend Aaron Kruger who uh, was in our class, I think he graduated early. And then he had, uh, he, he went out to LA and he was, he was an assistant at an agency. And the other assistant at the agency was Matt Rice. Matt Rice, wow. Wow. And that was like, we I think I'm going to become an agent, uh, but I don't have any clients. And then Aaron was like, well, I got, 
I, you know, I, I got this script from my friends and passed you. So you, That's you right. two were uh, some of his first clients. Yeah, I think we were. I think we we're we're clients one and two. Oh yeah. my God, that's it's great! Amazing. Well, we love Matt. We've had him on yeah. here before. He's a he's a really great agent. He's uh, you know the the just right porridge of agents for me. Absolutely. I mean, the the extent to which he hustled for us early on is like you you we can't overstate it. Like it's yeah. it's wow. it's crazy. He wasn't he wasn't commissioning anything because we were just working on like really bad shows. All the bad all the bad jobs he got us is we're we're so thankful. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like he wasn't commissioning stuff. He was hustling he had he had yeah. no expense account like we would go a big deal like if we would celebrate a win at islands and like on a sort of soda yeah we and he i mean it, we made so many mistakes in meetings and he just sort of rolled with it and kept sending us to more meetings yeah. and yeah. just sort of like trusted that we'd learn how to how to sort of write that ship and eventually we did and it, it worked out but no he he put a lot of faith in us and did, um, were you starting out more in like variety type shows or or just so the, so the or? first thing we wrote i mean i don't still don't know how this happened we we're so lucky we landed a freelance this is back when there were freelance episodes of situation comedies of freelance married with the children which i think wow. was wow. the last season of married with the children uh we had no business doing it but luckily we we, we got away with it the, the, the check yeah, the regular it. writers were all busy buying their third homes and we're like i don't want to write one <laughs> <laughs> exactly i think that's exactly what was going on uh in fact we had we had gotten a no from them and then we got an urgent yes Ooh. like mm -hmm. like yeah like desperate you're doing, you're doing it and get over here right away so something <laughs> something bad had happened over there is that is that what brought you out to la that job no, uh, no, no, we, we, we came out, no, we, we just came out sort of hoping that it would work out. And so we were both living out here and that was when we were going on meeting after meeting after meeting. And the, we just got, I mean, really lucky with that thing. And I mean, I remember that script. We, we wrote it in Microsoft Word because we couldn't afford final draft wow. and to hand it in, I had to go buy a printer the day it was due. Oh God. So we could print it out. It was just <laughs> one of those things. And we both drove to the Sony lot, dropped it off, and the assistant just sort of took it and went like, okay. <laughs> 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 and we, we, we sort of walked out and it was this weird deflation and it, like... Yeah, it felt, it felt like a loss. It felt like a loss. It I felt mean, like a loss. Like, you know, for all the talk of how much Matt hustled, we also hustled. I mean, we, we wrote 13 specs uh, wow. before Holy we really shit. got in. Any I don't think I've even written 13 scripts in my life. <laughs> yes, you have. You, you wrote 13 dads, Goldie. Don't forget. Never, <laughs> no, hashtag don't. never forget. Those aren't really technically scripts. <laughs> I guess you're right. You're also true. They're more like menus. <laughs> now, you brought up Conan. You were, Brad, you were interning at Conan. So is that what put a year on that Conan internship? Um, I'll get close. So I, we graduated in 94. I'm going to say like, 90 certainly i was there 93 i think i was there for two years it was either 93 94 or 92 93 we must have missed each other by two weeks or yes so, wow. i was an intern there in 95 96 Whoa. so i was there before they were on the air so i saw the practice which was a cool opportunity like i was there for the practice shows and uh for whatever wow. reason i was in the booth for those practice shows and that was really fun to listen to as they tried to dial in Conan's performance and uh, you know, everyone was very nervous. Oh, I remember my, one of my jobs was to set up a, um, a director's chair and a cooler full of Amstel light near a monitor every night for Lorne Michaels 
and oh. Casey showed up. Oh and my he God. never showed up to that. <laughs> and, I, wow. and I would set it up every time. And then this is how what a nerd I was in college. I would then put the Amstel light back in the to the fridge because no one drank it and bring it out the next night. Well, Why does that... I, not one beer did I bring home? <laughs> does, does, does anything say the 90s more than Amstel Light? <laughs> that was like, for some reason, that was like all people ordered in New York back then. Um, but that must have been really cool to, uh, you know, to witness the the birth of this this show that became really a touchstone for people our age in terms of like what's hilarious. Yeah, it was it was really cool. And, and you know, those writers were I was, looked, looked up to them just a ton. Uh, Andy Richter was super nice to me. Marsh McCall, who worked there, was incredibly nice to me, and and, and we wound up working with him later on. So that, it was it was that was a great opportunity. That's awesome. And Paul, so you're you're over at uh, doing a similar internship over at Comedy Central. What kind of stuff uh, were you seeing there? You know, it was it was a really remarkable experience because I don't know if you guys remember this, but there used to be the Comedy Channel and Ha. Yeah, of course. And they had just merged into Comedy Central, and so it was this really sort of I don't want to say small operation, but it wasn't it wasn't up and running the way it is now. And yeah. so they, I would go there and I would be plugged into almost anything and sort of where it was needed. I spent a lot of time in the development department, which was great because I like saw people coming in and pitching and sort of learned that process and what it was about. Right. And the vice president of development at the time was this woman named Gloria Banta, who was formerly a sitcom writer and had worked at MTM. And knew sort of the whole history of sick and she was wonderful and gave me a lot of great advice. And you know, you, the chance to like be on the floor during stand-up specials and just seeing how they worked, it was kind of invaluable. Were you yeah. there for like a version of the daily a version of the daily show? Yeah, we were I was there and I I, I worked on it and did a little bit of they let me do a little bit of writing. I, I mean it was not formal, but a little bit on the show called Everything You Need to Know. And it was their first version of The Daily Show before there was a Daily Show. And it was hosted by Christopher Hitchens. And, you know, it was really kind of a fascinating process to see. That was the germ of what became The Daily Show. Cool. Did did you get to witness at all the pickup process where, you know, something would get pitched and they would decide to pick it up? Because that is still a black box to me. I still don't understand how that happens. A a little bit. And, you know, I, I don't know that it is typical of what happens in networks now, but it was a small group of people. It was like three or four people, the development team, the development executive, the president of Comedy Central. And then usually like a promo person would sit in and they just, honestly, it was like a half hour discussion. And then they just make a decision among that small group. And that's, I I don't think that happens anymore because, you know, everything grows and becomes bigger, more institutional. And I think, you know, it sort of becomes much more bureaucratic. Right. Goldie, if you have questions about being on the outside of the not getting picked up process, we are like experts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all pretty experts. I, I think I have some good insight into that. <laughs> I, I've, I, I've been told, hey, we're going to talk about it, then circle back to you so yeah. many times. And can I tell you something? They've never circled back to me. <laughs> we're, we're, we're still, I think, technically on a lot of shows that haven't officially been canceled. <laughs> yeah. Cleveland show. The Cleveland show has not been canceled. Uh, it still could surprise you. And pa- Paul, I'm wondering if uh, up on a bulletin board at, at Comedy Central, just perpetually, there was a, a note card that read, Untitled Richard Janney Project. <laughs> there might have been. There might have been yes. It felt like whenever I was watching Comedy Central in that era, it was Richard Jenny. Jenny. 
Jenny. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I mean, look, yeah, they, they, they aired a lot of stuff. Um, back then, I think they were still airing short attention span theater. I love that. With just clips of wherever they could get clips of stand up, they got them. Yep. Yeah, that was, that was also a great a great time though, because like I remember when this is mostly in high school, right before that, like Paul and I, I think because they were just trying to fill up cable with content, we would yeah. watch like your show of shows and old like Jerry Lewis movies and, and like Ernie Kovacs. I don't know if that was like on Ha or Comedy Central, but like where else would two teenagers uh, have been as cool as we were? stuff like that Uh, oh you must have been so popular in high school coming to hey did you guys catch ernie kovacs the texaco star theater last night anyone exactly (laughs) um well that that was such a great time i remember just you know being unemployed and watching comedy central for like 10 hours at a time and you know, learning about people like Mark Pitta and, you know, like John Panette and like all these people oh, sure. that you just like would only get on Comedy Central. It was a really fun era. Um, but let's let's jump forward and talk a little bit about uh, Ted and Seth. So you talked about how, you know, we talked about how you had a meeting with Seth and and you guys kind of clicked in terms of, you know, field of reference and all that. What what else do you remember from your first meeting uh, with Seth? Well, you know, it was also it was, it was we're mid COVID, so it was like this a Zoom mm, meeting. So right. there's not a ton to tell there. Right. Um, I think it, it was a little bit of a blur. I'm sure we were we were a little bit in having that out of body experience because you know we it represented not unlike the Modern Family meeting a huge leap and an opportunity for us. Like we knew it was a meeting to co-run this show. We've never co-run a show, and it's also like this this existing franchise kind of hate that word but like huge franchise so like we the stakes felt high so that that that's my memory yeah i I remember specifically how poorly seth handled technology oh yeah Yeah. yep Yep. i mean yeah it was we were told like it's gonna start on time seth is always on time he was not on time no (laughs) who told you that yeah he's never on time (laughs) and then you know five minutes into five minutes later we're sitting there waiting and he, he kind of gets on, but he can't figure out how to turn on the camera. So we're just talking to him. <laughs> right. And then at some point the camera goes on and, but he's not there anyway. But I mean, finally we figured it all out. I once witnessed him Google Google. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? Or is that just a funny yes, joke? Oh God, that's great. <laughs> That is so. He funny. wanted to go to Google, and he typed Google into Google, <laughs> and he clicked send, and then was on Google. Yeah. The other day, he told me that like his like tech guy has set up set up this cool thing on his computer where you can use your fingerprint to to uh, to start it up. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, I don't know. If I, it's the power button. Yeah, it's been around for. A few but he years, also so. has access to a level of audio visual stuff that we the consumer don't even see because i know when i've in the past when i've gone to work at his house like and he wanted to hook up his ipad or his laptop or his phone to his tv he would have this cable that was yes. was the thickness of a boa constrictor yes <laughs> it was like, like the transatlantic snake. cable <laughs> yeah. and you would just go like hey man you know there's a thing called apple tv you know, screen mirroring and it's like but he clearly was like didn't want to do that so they found some other really uh ornate solution like usb n 
And yeah. he's like, oh, you guys don't have this yet. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he's a little behind. Like a military cable. Yeah. Right, yes. It was very thick. I remember that. It had many prongs on the end. Um, but now, getting the gig uh, to run the TED show, did it feel freeing to be able to like kind of branch into R-rated comedy? Or was that something that you had to... I mean, was it, it like you're holding back before yeah. and now you get to do whatever you want? Or no, how would you feel? No. Not at all. That's, that's I feel like that's what everyone says. And it may be true for other people. It wasn't, a, I'll just speak for me, not for me. It was exciting. And it's part of the reason we did it, right? So it's like, it's this, it's this challenge. There are a couple of challenges baked into this TED job. And one of them is writing a different type of comedy, right? We, we've been spent a, a career, like 25 plus years writing PG, maybe PG 13 comedy. Family. Uh, and I found like, we at this point police ourselves i think like we're, we're just like almost like we were we were raised in a prison so we just we just <laughs> you know the halls are yeah. uh, so rather than like having to like oh just let go i find at least still to this day have to i have to kind of consciously get filthy and sometimes yeah, we yeah. Will even like go back over a scene and like pull, and check like did this day is this, raunchy enough? Yeah, is this crass enough? Not what is we it... naturally do. Yeah, yeah. It was definitely an effort, and it it, it wasn't just the language. It was because this is streaming. It's not confined to the twenty one minutes of network TV, and so you you break stories a little differently. And that was I, that was not always comfortable because we're we're used to being efficient with storytelling and sort of getting to the point and like just sort of getting there. And we're not, that doesn't happen as much on TED or on streaming. And that was an effort to sort of like relearn how you break a story. And <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious to see the pilot tonight because the original pilot, I felt like it was at one point 30 pages, then it was 60 pages, then it was broken up into two and then one was moved. And so, you know, like, I, I mean, don't shatter the mystery for me because i'm going oh, no, yeah, see I, it tonight I'll, but I'll be, uh, I'll be watching you the whole time yeah <laughs> <laughs> camera there was more like more than any show i've ever worked on uh, a lack of rules about what to do yes yeah. completely and I, and I mean the the pilot the way the pilot is now is literally it's two episodes put together and you know, I think for syndication it will be two episodes but for tonight you'll get to see two episodes put together and you know, I, I, I'm still at a loss of what I think about that because for 20 plus years, it was 21 minutes, 30 seconds, right. and then you're out. And this is not yeah. that. And it's, it's, a, it's a different animal, certainly. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the, the sort of casual decision to do that contrasted with um, Modern Family, where one time we talked about doing a two-parter and we debated it as a staff for two weeks and it nearly it nearly tore us apart <laughs> and ultimately we decided not to do it yeah, <laughs> that's so funny now there's something because we talked about so modern family is this unicorn 11 seasons you know all the awards so funny so popular um but but one of the things is you know you stayed there you guys stayed there the whole time and so you're in your bubble you know, you have your your good friends who you've worked with for over 10 years, but you don't really know what's going on in, in, in the world outside of that. So something that was exciting for me um, when we did Dads was getting to work with a bunch of Simpsons writers, you know, other writers who I had heard of but had never worked with. So coming to TED, 
did you guys have a similar experience? Like, oh, now we hear all these people from this show, Family Guy, we've heard about, but we've never met them. Like, was that was that as fun as it was for for me on Dads? Like, did you have fun with like breaking it up and changing your world? Absolutely, and I feel like it is a separate it is a separate world. Like, we were very much in a certain camp, not even just like about our family, but like just taking like this lineage of like writers that go back to like like Cheers and Frasier, like yeah. that. Like we just weren't part of this. We were fans of you guys, knew your names. And so nice. it was a little bit like uh, finally meeting these these uh, small, small celebrities in our, in our life. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was, that was, that was exciting and part of the, the, the fun of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's, no, uh, and, it's, and it's also. I just, didn't even know people in the majors watched minor league baseball. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, it's also like it was. You know, you guys have still probably written more Ted than we have. You know, so like it, it felt like we just we we're coming in and like feel like we need to be stewards of this world and this character, mm-hmm. and we were felt really lucky to have you guys there because you just you just know how it works. Uh, that's that's the clip we'll use, JC. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Stewards of sewage. That's the, uh, the, <laughs> the variety headline. Um, no, but you guys did a, a great job. I mean, we, Goldie and I have worked with Seth for many years, so we knew going in like, oh, he's he's often late. You know, some days he's in a good mood, some days he's in a bad mood. And, you know, the creativity in the room sort of reflects that. And it, it's challenging to be, to to run a show where you have, like, the billionaire boy genius who's sort of the the the, whole, the voice behind the whole thing. But you guys did a great job. That's very kind of you. And there was some point, and might have been talking about the length of that first episode, where Paul and I were were arguing on behalf of, you know, maybe a tighter... 22 minute episode i can't remember exactly but we were we were i probably can remember exactly but i don't want to uh, <laughs> argue a point to set and i think in another out of body experience i start to realize well, let's see he he co-wrote the movies and those were huge successes and he directed them and he starred in them <laughs> and he wrote the pilot of this and he's going to direct all the episodes and he stars in them i'm in a three-story building in the middle of beverly hills it's like the nicest office i've ever been in that he owns I'm, i don't think i'm going to win this argument <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I've ever won an argument with Seth. He's he's very good at digging his heels in, and, and most of the time he's right, so you can't really... Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, tonight and all these episodes are a collection of arguments that I lost and should have lost. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, it's good to know that. Well, um, we thank both of you for, for coming on the show at short notice. I mean, it's a big yeah. night for all of us, but in particular for you two. So uh, you, you yeah. should be absolutely proud of this show uh, that you guys have shepherded. And I've the, the episodes I've seen have been hysterical. So I'm excited to see it with a bunch of people tonight. I'm excited to uh, shake your hands in person. And uh, thank you so much for being here today, Paul Corrigan and Brad Walsh. Thanks thank so you. much. Thanks, guys. Our pleasure. Thank you, thank you. guys. Okay, boy. Oh, Corgan and Walsh, class acts. Yeah, yeah, Congrats great. on the TED show. Very funny guys. Um, all right, but now let's get to a portion of our show we like to call Top Five. Top Five. Yeah. Oh, we sound gorgeous. <laughs> JC, this was your category. Tell the folks what we're Top Fiving about today. We are Top Fiving Top Five Older People Names. Older Person All right. Names? 
Great. Take it away. Okay. So my number five is Blanche. Oh, Blanche, good one. You know, number four, Archie. Stu was loving Archie, so Archie. Putting Archie there. <laughs> um, number three, Mabel. Oh, good one. I don't know. Number Mabel. two, Myrtle. Myrtle. I've never met a Myrtle. Myrtle. And my number one with a nickname, I love the nickname, is Gertrude, but goes by Gertie. What's up, Gertie? Gertie. Gertie Bird. (laughs) All right. Funny names, Goldie. Take it away. Number five, Dot. Yeah. (laughs) Number four, Dick. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, Don. (laughs) Number two, Doris. <laughs> and number one, Lloyd. Uh, Lloyd, 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 Lloyd. 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 Uh, all right. Uh, here are my top five. Number five, Abner. Oh, that's a Abner. Good one. Yes. Number four, my late grandmother's name, Ethel. Oh, yeah. Ethel. Oh, Ethel. Uh, number three, Ambrose. Mm. Ambrose. Oh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Number two, Ruth. 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 Baby Ruth. Baby Ruth. And number one, Hubert. Oh. Hubert. Oh, Hubie. Oh, those are all very old people. Very fun to talk about. Great. Um, All right, so next week, our top five. Let's give a try. Let's broaden our horizons a little here and do top five songs of this century. Okay. Top five songs. So the 2000s, you mean? Yes. Okay. That's what I mean, Goldie. Of oh, this century. What else could I possibly Well, make? I just think you and I sort of still exist in that, like, the 80s and 90s are kind of recent. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, well, totally. We definitely do. do. Like, Wedding Crashers was, you know, <laughs> know. like four years ago. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right, so that'll be next week. Top five songs of this century. And now yes. let's close the show as we do every week. On a high note. Oh, wow. (laughs) Really long for Tom and Max. Uh, You know what? I'm going to circle back on this. I mentioned it at the top of the show. My high note this week, 511. I'm 5'11". Oh, yeah, that's a good high note. Very exciting Medium for me. high note. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm walking around with renewed... The view from up here is quite nice, folks. 5'11". All right, that's my high note. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, my high note is um, I'm going to thank Viet Fan for editing the Arif episode while so I could have a vacation, and it really changed my life. So oh, so appreciate it. Thank you, yes. Viet. Viet's yes. awesome. We Great love Great job. Him. Yes, yes, we do love him. Great. Uh, so my high note, and assuming it goes fine, yes, uh, is the TED premiere tonight because it's, yes. um, you know, it's it's as I get older, it it gets rarer to have these events at all, and I'm just grateful to have an opportunity to see the work I did on a big screen and and hobnob with all the people, yeah, who contributed to it. Um, It's exciting. It's legit exciting. I agree. I'm looking forward to that as well. Those are great high notes. Very fun show. Uh, Thank you two for being awesome. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. And we will talk to you again next week. This week was, if it wasn't enough. (laughs) (laughs) That was fun.
Doesn't sound credible.